welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for The Young Folks and critic for Awards Watch in the Spool. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend and co-creator of Cinemaholics, of course. It's Will Ashton. Hey there. Will, we have a special guest this week. She's a writer, editor, and producer based out of LA with bylines at Glamour, Elle, Cosmopolitan, Vanity Fair, IGN, and many more. Plus, she is a Tomato Meter approved freelance critic. Welcome to Cinemaholics for the first time, Emily Tannenbaum. Hello. Welcome to the show. We're so honored you're here. Congrats on the Tomato Meter approval. That's pretty yeah. fresh. <laughs> Thank you. Get it? Because, yeah, anyway. Yes. <laughs> We're really excited you're here to help us talk about Black Widow. That's going to be our main review of the week here. But we have some other stuff we're going to get into via off topics, of course. But first, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com, including written reviews and other bonus content. You can write into the show anytime. Please send us an email. Our email, as always, is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. And if you'd like to support this podcast, there are two easy ways to do it. You can head over to patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Check out our Patreon. See if you're interested in any of the perks. Otherwise, you could always support us by... Yeah, just go into Apple Podcasts, leave a leave us a rating on there. Let us know what you think of the show, what you think we could do better in the future. Either way, we want to hear from you there as well. And don't forget, we've got Cinemaholics merch on the website. Take a look at that if you are curious. All right, for off topics, we have a big old prestigious film festival going on right this minute. The 2021 Cannes Film Festival, the 74th Cannes Film Festival. And it kicked off this past, I think it was Tuesday, right? July 6th. So it's just a few days in. And already, as uh, I think we could expect, there are some pretty buzzy films showing up here. So Will, you wanted to talk, I know you kind of introduced the idea, like, let's talk about some of the early buzz. Sure. What, what are some can films that are hitting your radar that have just hit other people's radars? Um, so I think the biggest one so far was the premiere film, which is Annette, which is the... Um... Yeah, I, is it pronounced Leos Krauss? Or I, I don't know if I will ever pronounce his name. You know, correct. he's French. I, yes. You know how I am with French pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> so right, but it's it's spelled L E O S. His name C A R A X. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to yeah. handle that one, but um, yeah, yeah. So not quite sure how to pronounce his name, but I am a fan of his films, or at least his last film, Holy Motors. Uh, I like quite a bit, and this is like his first film in almost ten years, uh, and it's this big grandiose uh, surrealist musical with Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard and it has original music from the Sparks uh, and we saw like a little glimpse of it in the documentary that Egg Wright did for Sundance that just came out um, and it's uh, one I'm very much looking forward to and weirdly I feel like I'm looking forward to it more now that the reviews are sort of mixed uh, yes. it just seems like <laughs> I don't know I know like some people that might be a deterrent or that might turn them off but for me that makes it more enticing that it's not instantly overwhelmingly positive at least not for everyone so uh that's definitely even more so on my radar and i think that comes out in late august um to amazon and in select theaters so we don't have long to wait which is exciting as well yeah i heard one critic call this the anti la la land which makes okay. me very curious <laughs> yeah i saw yeah um someone said it's like this year's Fox Lux, which I mean, obviously, I know I loved, and you were kind of mm. uh, 
mixed on, which makes me also very excited. Um, but uh, yeah, I could definitely see if that's the case, why it's going to be a fairly divisive film, probably more so when it actually comes out wide. For sure. Yeah, there's a bunch of other things hitting can. I don't know if you were curious about them. I'm really curious about yeah. after Yang. Yeah, that's the, um, the Columbus guy. Columbus, yeah, the director, um, Koganada. Mm-hmm. My goodness, love that movie. This is his second film. I know um, Colin Farrell's in it, Haley Richardson. It's mm-hmm. about like an AI. It also has, uh, oh yeah, Justin H. Min from Umbrella Academy, which yeah. I don't think Will, you ever got into that one. I haven't watched that show, but I've heard that this movie is like a nicer version of Ex Machina, which is right. uh, nice to hear, <laughs> I guess. Um, I'm definitely excited for this one as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so definitely a, a critic, a mutual who I think I think you know as well, Emily, uh, Raphael Multimayor said after Yang was the first film of the festival to make him ugly cry. So and he also said, without a doubt, the best movie about AI since Ex Machina and a beautiful exploration of memories, family, being an immigrant and humanity. So, yeah, he, he tweeted that a couple of days ago. So that's definitely got me excited and uh, looking forward to after Yang. Is there anything else, though? Any Anything I'm forgetting? I, there's a couple more, but I want to let you pick and choose there. I'm also looking for, is it called uh, Burnett, the Paul Verhoeven film? Benedetta, I think. Benedetta, that's it, okay. Um, I know that one's, I guess, similarly getting kind of a divisive response, but uh, I guess that one because it's a little bit more salacious. Than yeah, your, it's it's the yeah. lowest rated in terms of like critical reception right now. There aren't a ton of canned films that have already come out, but yeah, it's it's 69%. And okay. that's, yeah, the lowest, I believe, um, well, unless I thought, you count F9. Okay, yeah. I, I thought Stillwater was getting kind of a mixed response. That's a new it's Tom It's at 73% on Rotten Tomatoes last I checked. Okay. And it had like a standing ovation. I saw that, uh, yeah, like Matt Damon was like crying from oh, okay. just like how well received it was like yeah initially i think it's getting some negative like reviews are starting to trickle in more negative at this point but yeah first I night. Just, yeah i mean it just seemed like with uh how do you pronounce the verhoven film benedetta benedetta okay yeah i yeah. just i think i think that one is more just i've hearing people being like it's not my thing like it's a little too horny for my taste the kind of thing or they can't appreciate what like the commentary is but they're just not really fond of the execution i've just heard some people say that still water is like a mess like the people who are critical or negative on the film seem to be more directly negative than with the Verhoeven film. So that's why I thought that was getting the most negative response so far. But you could be right. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I, I want to mention there's there's three films that are currently sort of dominating the like critical conversation, the ones that people are loving the most. First, Velvet Underground, which oh, is yeah, the, apparent, Todd the musical Haynes. documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's apparently fantastic. People really love it. It's it's got nothing but acclaim so far. It's oh, really? the, yeah, it's I've, Todd Haynes. I've heard a couple of critical responses so far. Yeah, but Will, your timeline is full of chaos. Like, sure, this is this is Letterboxd. I sh- I should specify this is Letterboxd, not Twitter. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. I will say the Velvet Underground is a pretty big acquisition from Apple TV Plus. Oh, I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I find that so weird that Apple TV is going to put out a Velvet Underground documentary by well, Todd I mean, Haynes. Apple TV's done like Beast Boy Story. They've, they've done a bunch of music docs. So. But just like when I think of Velvet Underground, I don't think of Apple, to uh, be fair. Sure, I guess. That might be part of the point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they yeah. they seem to be experimenting. Yeah. 
and getting their bearings. Like they they also bought Coda from Sundance. So yeah, it's true. Got a lot of <laughs> different things going on over there. Yeah, and they got. I think they have the new um, Joe Cohen movie as well. Recently, they pot they picked that one up. So that's definitely going to be a big awards contender, I assume, at the end of the year as well. So they're definitely uh, stacking their decks. Yeah, I mean, as usual, I'm a I'm an employee of Apple, so I got to disclose that. But I have nothing to do with this. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, the other music documentary, or the other documentary, I should say, sorry, is the Val Kilmer documentary, Val, also getting some really positive notices. I think that's, a, yeah, like at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes out of like a handful of reviews so yeah. far. And that, that one, one seems kind of interesting. I think that one's coming to Amazon next month, right? Yeah, or August, like, early yeah. August. Yeah. So is Annette. I think Annette is Amazon as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one film though that I'm sort of I'm sort of dreading, but in a in an immature way, okay. is the Souvenir Part Two, the Joanna okay. Hogg one, which apparently is like people are calling it and and a masterpiece and all this stuff. Sure. Yeah, okay. for it's very good. Here's the thing, I what I'm expecting because like some of the listeners might remember, I wasn't a big fan of the Souvenir. It kind of left yeah. me wanting a bit. I and liked it. I know a, a lot of people really dug it. So what I'm expecting to happen is I'm going to watch part two and maybe ideally I will love it so much that I will have to renege my negative opinion of the first film and do a mea culpa on this show. So I'm preparing myself mentally to do that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I have heard that it does complement it well and that like, even if you weren't super, uh, if you weren't in love with the first film that does make it a little bit more well-rounded and like you said it makes you appreciate it more so i'm hoping that's the case for you and even for me as well so um yeah i'm excited for that for sure there are a bunch more can films coming out in the next week i think the last day of the festival is the 17th and there's there's still plenty to see i know french dispatch is still on mm-hmm. the horizon there's the i think the Anne frank one already came out the animated yeah. sort of retelling where is Anne frank that's another one that was on my radar but yeah, anything yeah. else before we switch gears? We'll probably talk more can next week. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I those are the ones I know so far. Um, there's definitely a lot of movies that are coming up that I'm very excited and nervous to hear what the response is. But yeah, at the moment, like you said, we're still like halfway into the festival. So I mean, and there's probably some stuff that is under that, that I haven't uh, been keeping notice of. But uh, the one I'm, I think that I'm most looking forward to hasn't premiered yet is... Uh, Titani, I think it's called the follow-up to Raw from um, Julia Denoshina. That's another name I don't exactly know. It's another French filmmaker, but that's probably the one that's on the horizon I'm most looking forward to. All right, yeah, I don't know too much about that one myself, so I'd have to look okay. into it. Maybe we can readjourn next sure. week to to kind of see. Yeah, once the dust settles over it, can I didn't want to bring it up, but I mean. It's kind of looking a little hairy over there. There are some COVID cases, and it's a oh, little really? bit. Yeah, wow. I think they said they were averaging like three cases per day, and oh, yeah, there's some, some, some difficulty over there as theaters are, they're back. But I think yeah, with like the variants and stuff, it's a little unpredictable. So hopefully people are all right. Yeah. But yeah. So that's that's our can talk. Since Black Widow is the only film we are going to be reviewing together this week. Thought it would be fun to just kind of get into some of the stuff we have been watching, just kind of let you all know and catch up with. Will, you have been watching the latest season of I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Mm-hmm. Robinson. This yeah, is Robinson, his sketch yeah. comedy 
uh, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's he's a star again. He's the co-creator. He wrote it. He produced it. The first season was a while back, 2019, like early 2019, I think. Something and like I that. didn't watch it, of course, until I was sick in bed. And I had just watched your pair of talks with you, which I mm-hmm. absolutely I love. adored. Great show. And I kept the momentum going of things that Will's asked me to watch. And I watched mm-hmm. the first season of I Think You Should Leave. And it, I'll say this and I'll let you get into it, Will. I can definitely see, like, with this show, why it's such a, like, pop culture, like, loving. Or I can see, like, so many memes have come from this thing. Okay. That sounds like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> well, that, in a good way. Because, like, I had no idea that so much pop culture came from this like there were some memes i remember seeing i was like oh that's from this yeah (laughs) that was really funny but yeah yeah i mean i caught this fairly early on uh chris sheridan who i who's a co-host of a ogre totes ogre uh he informed me of it like the week it came out and so i feel like i was riding this train like early on but it is kind of crazy at like the memes and stuff have gotten so big to the point where it's like politicians are using them (laughs) on twitter and stuff it's just so like more like the show's already pretty surreal as it is and to to see that layer the online narrative of it flourish is even more bizarre i think even like kate blanchett like referenced it on mark maron's podcast and stuff so just the life of the show has gotten way bigger than i thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be a fairly niche show from the onset but i am glad to see that it is expanding more and more and that we finally have the second season to to watch and celebrate yeah like i i watched it um Oh, I remember I had a coworker who like brought it to my attention when it first came out, like literally like yeah. the first week. So I remember mm-hmm. people were digging it, but yeah, I had no idea it had this reach, but I, I think it deserves it. So yeah. there you go. And I know Patty Harrison is in this second yeah. season and you know, you know how much I support Patty Harrison's comedy and her and mm-hmm. Sam Richardson because yeah. love both of them to pieces. Yeah. Sam Richardson has one, maybe two skits and then Patty Harrison has like two or three. So um, I've already seen a few memes yeah. for Patty Harrison. <laughs> and I believe Patty Harrison is a writer this season. I, I may have misread that because the credits go by pretty fast. But I think she's, she also co-wrote some of the episodes. So that's also exciting. For sure. Did you have more to say? No, I was just going to say, I mean, I like the show a lot. Uh, season two. Um, I'm excited to dig into the rest of it. Uh, and I just appreciate that the season is a little bit more melancholic uh, in terms of just like looking at how these like kind of dumb weirdos uh, are misunderstood in ways that like even in a world filled with other kind of weird dumb misunderstood people uh, that it just I, I, I'll probably have more to say about when I actually watch it a, a few more times again but for the time being my initial reaction is is positive so check it out all right I'll probably check it out at some point yeah when I have a, a spare moment uh, it definitely makes me laugh <laughs> that comedy so okay Emily Tannenbaum I know I was chatting with you about this kind of off the air a little bit. Gossip Girl, it's getting a reboot on, I believe, HBO yeah. Max, right? I haven't gotten yeah. into it. I already told you some of my Gossip Girl baggage that I dropped off after season two. I heard the direction it goes in, and I was like, I'm not putting myself through that. But <laughs> yeah, what's what's your Gossip Girl like entry point? And I, I think you've been watching the new series. So I was a hardcore Gossip Girl fanatic. Um, at the time, like, and I love Chuck Bass, which I think is the worst thing I could say about me is that I used to love Chuck Bass. I heard they kind of made it so he's like the main character, right? In the like, they kind of figured out he's like better, and they sort of like put more of the stories toward him. That's what I heard. I would argue that Blair is the main character of Gossip Girl. Mm, okay, but she's so in 
entrenched with Chuck that it kind of can, that makes sense to me that you've heard that. Um, but I think it all ends up sur- as Blair becomes more interesting than Serena. It all start- starts to circle around her towards the later seasons, which I appreciated because I loved Blair and Leighton Meester. But um, okay. I kind of, I mean, no one likes, no one likes the big reveal of who was the original Gossip Girl. <laughs> Dan Humphrey. Um, but I, I loved that show. So I was tentative coming in because the original, the new Gossip Girl, the reboot, has already had so much drama and questions surrounding it before it even dropped this past week. Um, there, Because of the creator, Josh Safran, is an interesting interview, I would say. Um, so through multiple interviews with him, there have been worries that the new iteration was going to be too woke. Um and that it was he had made a quote that they weren't going to engage in wealth porn so people thought that it wasn't going to be as much about rich people doing rich people things which then what's the point um but it turns out that those concerns were pretty greatly exaggerated things are still very much i would argue um not the most progressive (laughs) and there's still a lot of drama and it's more opulent, I would argue, than the first iteration. It seems they have a lot more money going into it. Um, but I don't know how I feel about it just yet. I'm I'm on the fence. I think it would be a perfect reboot if they focused on the kids. But And this is a spoiler, so I'll give a few seconds to say that this is a spoiler alert. But it happens pretty quickly in the first episode because it all of the drama is surrounding it. The... <laughs> The gossip girl in the new reboot are the teachers Hmm. and they are doing it to get back at the students who they feel have too much control over the school. And it's terrible. (laughs) It's awful. I I actually wrote about it today for glamour about how people are very confused by it. Um, However, the actual conflicts between the teens, I think are, is really fun. I think that the argument that it's too woke is because of a little bit of some ham-fisted dialogue that comes off very like, we have to be progressive, so we're going to say F the patriarchy a few times, a few more times than necessary. But otherwise, it's still really raunchy and fun, and I think will be entertaining for Gossip Girl fans, especially of like the new generation. And I do think that there's no better time for a Gossip Girl remake than 2021 and with the state of social media being the way that it is. So those are my thoughts. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that just because the first season of Gossip Girl was like right when cell phones were becoming ubiquitous enough that you could base a whole series around that angle of like the very, very early prototypical social media age back when blogs were still a thing, <laughs> like mm-hmm. or had the like cultural power that they have. And I remember that first season was legitimately really good. It was well written. I thought that it was mm-hmm. it, there was interesting commentary on the sort of like trust fund generation in New York and what they're going through. But I felt I always felt like I understood them and especially like even like the Nate character, I I sort of felt like he was an interesting guy. But then I dropped off because I just the second season I I was like the writing just completely fell off a cliff. It, it just felt like all the characters had reset to some kind of boring version of themselves. So I'm intrigued by this reboot, but I do have one question. Is Kristen Bell still the narrator? Because that's important to me. Yes, Kristen Bell is still the narrator. And 
let me tell you, I didn't know how just emotional I would feel hearing her talk <laughs> and say XOXO Gossip Girl again. Like, it's almost like a religious experience. <laughs> Nothing better. That is that is a good selling point at, at the very least. I haven't seen a single part of the show yet, but I whenever I try to imagine it, I just think of that TikTok. I don't know if either of you have seen it, the one where it's like a bunch of millennials on one side. Uh, it's like a theater kids TikTok, but there's like a group of millennials on one side and a group of Gen Z on the other side. And it's like West Side Story. And oh. they're like making fun of each other. <laughs> it's I the cringiest thing I've ever seen in my life. I love it. Yeah. That actually, that's that's a good um, little encapsulation of the new Gossip Girl. Oh, perfect. I would say. It sounds like, Will, you're not you're not just a fan of that TikTok. You helped create it? Oh, uh, I didn't even finish it. I think I got like 15 seconds into it. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I have one life in this world, uh, (laughs) uh, depending on what you believe. Uh, And uh, I'm just not going to spend that time watching this video. So I didn't. All right. Fair enough. Well, that is that is the Gossip Girl reboots. And yeah, Emily, I'll chat with you again if I have a chance to see it. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll we'll find out how it it actually turns out once it's been fully watched. Because I I, I, remind me, is it week by week like they did Flight Attendant or is this all at once? It's. It's weekly, and I've seen the first four episodes. Oh, okay. Um, and by, I would say that I had a little bit of trouble with the premiere, though. Though it seems the target audience really enjoyed it, except for again, a lot of people are making fun of the teacher aspect, as they should. But it seems to have been getting a fairly positive response from actual fans. A little bit more negative on the critic side. And I probably, if I had written a review for it, which I haven't, I definitely think I might have been more on the negative side. And then by the time I got to episode four, which I'm not going to give any spoilers or say anything that happens, but I will say that's when I kind of texted my friend who had also seen it and been like, oh, okay, I actually like this. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, okay. I think I'm going to keep going. Good to know. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, it might take a couple episodes to get into it, so... That is Gossip Girl, the reboot. It is now available to stream on HBO Max. Real quick, another Netflix thing. I watched Fear Street Part 2, 1978. We talked about 1994 briefly last week. We might do a whole thing about Fear Street next week once 1666 comes out. Depends on if Will watches any of these things. Otherwise, I'll have to find somebody else uh, brave and courageous enough to watch these horror films. Bill's a little scared of horror movies, of course. That is not... uh, Oh, true, but (laughs) sure, I'll play into the bit. (laughs) No, but uh, I I will admit, though, 1978, not a huge fan. I I know some people are into it. It, it, If you're following along, like, the Fear Street saga, it starts in 1994. It's about Shadyside, this town that's, like, cursed with serial killers supposedly being controlled by a woman who is accused of being a witch who is, like, taking revenge against the town, all this stuff. And 1978 is kind of a glorified flashback scene uh, for 1994 because it picks up right where 1994 ended. And then it takes you on this flashback to something we kind of already know what happened, but it's riffing from the slasher films of the 70s in the way that 1994 is riffing off of 90 slashers. And so it's doing the Friday the 13th thing, essentially, because you're in a summer camp and there is a killer and all of that stuff you, you can expect. I just, I wasn't super into this. I think that it's, it was too predictable. The only thing, and similar to 1994 that it does, it gets right is the gore and the sort of 
wow, like they're actually going to do that appeal of this sort of thing. But it's just a ton of needle drops, like even more than 94. And I just didn't care about the characters as much. They, they try to surprise with some like character twists and turns. But again, if you watch 94 and that's, you know, this is part two, there's nothing really surprising here. That said, it ends with a tease of 1666. We're going to go all the way back in time to the night where all this really started. And the way that they're queuing that up is super fascinating. And I'm actually really hyped for it, even though I didn't care for 1978 nearly as much. But again, we'll probably talk about these in more detail at a later time. 1666 comes out on the 16th. So we're less than a week away already. And then before we jump into things, I did want to mention to you that I, I saw the new Megan Fox thriller, Till Death, which came out on the second. So a little late on it, but I, I had a chance to see that. It's like a a thriller action survival film. It's kind of combining Saw, Panic Room, Gerald's Game, a bunch of movies together, but it's a great comeback film for Megan Fox. So I did want to shout it out. I thought it was really effective and a really solid movie. Well, I think you said you're going to check out Till Death probably was, soon, right? I was curious about it. I didn't know anything about it until uh, you and a few other critics started talking about it. But my impression of it was that it was, it was like her happy death day. Is that not what it is? I, no, I don't okay. understand that comparison at all. Okay. I, uh, I didn't get that from anywhere. So that's I, I, I think that's just because I know initially she was supposed to star in Happy Death Day and then she dropped out like some point. So I think that just in my head canon, that's what it was. <laughs> the movies, those movies share nothing. And I don't think the, okay. the narrative arc of Jessica Roth and Megan Fox have anything to do with each other. So I don't really understand what that comparison is supposed to be maybe there's something in there i'm missing but no yeah this this to me, me being weird sorry no I, I was just this this to me just feels like megan fox being able to kind of continue the cult status cred she got for jennifer's body a film that people slept on back in 2009 2010 that was excellent and it created it eventually garnered up a great following myself included but this film seems to really be getting into like, hey, actually, Megan Fox is really good at this sort of thing and she should be in more things. I was just going to correct and say a film that men sleep slept on. Oh, good point. When it originally yeah. came out. Well, I was just thinking <laughs> of the box office not being that strong. But like I, I went to see it in theaters and I remember the theater being kind of empty and I don't understand. It was such a good movie. And like people, it got all these negative reviews, like you said, like by men. And it's actually excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was at a time when people, I think, listen to reviews more than they do so now. Yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, that's Till Death. It's currently playing in select theaters, I think. And I think it's available on demand. So pretty easy to check it out. I definitely recommend it. And then last, Monsters at Work. This is the first Pixar series, like the full-on like Pixar series that is on Disney Plus because we can't. We can't dis discount the Buzz Lightyear show that came out in the early two thousands. To mention, yeah, there's the yeah. Buzz you Lightyear were about show. to whip me into shape, I bet. Mm -hmm. um, we're almost missing oh, that. You know, I just—it's only a couple episodes in. I just wanted to shout it out real fast. It's a continuation of Monsters Inc. takes place literally the day after <laughs> Monsters Inc. And it's about how like the monsters of Monsters Inc. have to adapt to this now being a place where you have to make kids laugh instead of scaring them. I'm really digging this show. It's only two episodes, but they kind of just made an office kind of spinoff 
but with the Monsters, Inc. characters. It's like the best way I can describe it. Best things about this are that Mike and Sully are here and the voice actors are back. And I know I'm probably going to get flack for this office comparison, but I think it's like really strong there. I was just going to say that I the only thing I know about this is the cast and how wonderful the cast is. But that little comparison you just made just sold me. And I feel like I'm going to watch it immediately after this. It's it's genuinely good. Like, it's a kid's show, you know? Stakes are kind of low. It's very casual and breezy. But there are really good jokes in here. Mindy Kaling uh, steals a lot of the dialogue. Some of her jokes liter- like legitimately had me laughing out loud. And I think that's probably why I have the office comparison second. Because it's a workplace comedy. It's great that they have Ben Feldman from Superstore here and Mindy Kaling because like that's of some of the best workplace comedies we've gotten in recent years Henry Winkler is in the voice cast too though and like I said like the fact that they got Billy Crystal John Goodman and Jennifer Tilly coming back Bonnie Hunt and I was kind of worried that they would be like cameos right like okay well you didn't really get John Goodman and you know Bonnie Hunt to show up for more than like a day or two, but no, they they're part of the story. They're you know they're not the main characters, but you know that's fine. They're they're there. Like it's pretty believable so far. They're short episodes. I'm digging it so far. It's funny. It's fun. It's got a good little story. Not the highest stakes, but I'm into it. It's Monsters at Work. It's on Disney Plus, and that's that's it. That's all we have for off topics. But we do have another Disney Plus thing to talk about, and that is the latest Marvel film, which is not only in theaters, but also available to stream on Disney Plus through Premiere Access for an additional $30 or something like that. Let's talk about Black Widow. I tell people my sister moved out west. You're a science teacher. Your husband, he renovates houses. You're thinking about moving, but you're going to wait until the interest rates go down. That's not my story. Before I was an Avenger, I made mistakes. And a lot of enemies. He's called Science Taskmaster. He controls the Red Room. They're manipulated. Fully conscious, but no choices. I should have come back for you. How many others are there? Enough. Black Widow is the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I forget how many films we're at at this point. It's 20-something. And it is a standalone prequel film about Black Widow, who's been portrayed by Scarlett Johansson since Iron Man 2 all the way back in 2010. This film is an it's an it's in an interesting place. It's not really an origin story, it, but it is a prequel, but it is also still kind of like a milestone transition film into like the next generation of Marvel films. But I think the most interesting thing about it, and I'm sure we'll get into is that it's kind of weirdly standalone at the same time like it's kind of like a standalone spin-off adventure kind of happening in its own little world but we'll talk about it it takes place right after captain america civil war and we're following scarlett johansson as natasha romanoff of course as she has to 
uncover a bunch of conspiracies related to her origin. We meet a bunch of characters who kind of worked with her back when she was part of this Russian spy organization. There's this thing called the Red Room. I don't know if the organization is called the Red Room. It's something to that effect. But yeah, the movie kicks off with some of these characters who are a big part of Natasha's life growing up. And this is how we get introduced to Florence Pugh eventually, who is sort of this new kind of Black Widow character they're teeing up. We also have Rachel Weiss as the kind of like mother character who is a former widow, now scientist. And then finally, David Harbour as this guy called the Red Guardian, who is this Russian Captain America kind of guy. And yeah, it's it's kind of just like this spy movie combining several other spy movies together. Remind me a little bit of like the Sam Mendes, James Bond films, but also some of the like Sean Connery uh, Roger Moore Bond films as well. It's like a, a combination of a bunch of different things. We'll start with you, Emily. What did you think of Black Widow? This kind of different sort of movie for Marvel, but one that is, of course, taking the box office by storm. I would put it well in my top five Marvel movies, maybe even top three. I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> Um, I was really impressed by, I think it has the best opening scene of any Marvel movie or sequence. And it, the comedy was there, but it was serious. It had a lot going on. And I think it was really, really effective at introducing new characters and also rounding them out and making you root for them. And I'm super excited to see um, where the universe takes Yelena or Yelena as we continue on. I, I really loved it. Yeah, we'll definitely have a little bit of like a spoiler conversation later to talk about some of these characters and like what the future of Marvel might be with some of these characters. But I've never actually thought before like what my favorite Marvel opening scene is before. Like the first one that probably comes to mind is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah, that's I what I was going to say. love that intro. Oh, is that your favorite? Probably. I'd have to think about it though. Or yeah. um maybe Black Panther. One of those. Black Panther yeah. is pretty that that one's heartbreaking. But yeah, it's but good. it's good. Like it's well done, like I think. But yeah, it's just it is sad for sure. But so is Guardians. I can't say that I've ever really thought about which my favorite openers were until I saw this one and I was just like, Wow, this is yeah. <laughs> a really intense, cool way to start a Marvel film. It felt like it reminded me of The Americans. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was um, and, I, and I was a huge fan of that show. It's interesting, too, because like it's it's kind of doing The Americans thing, but it's, it's take, it takes place in the 90s. So it's like post when that stuff is, was supposed, you know, was going on and everything. So I was like, oh, you know, they're kind of maybe driving home that this isn't necessarily Russia, but it's also Russia. But I guess it's like Russia in the way that Hydra was Germany. I don't know. It's Marvel. That's what they do. Yeah. I think the suggestion was in this world, in the Marvel world, and maybe even in our world, they might be making a a statement that yeah. the Cold War never actually ended, right. which I guess is fair. They do tie it to like the Marvel lore too, yeah, with like S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that stuff. So like you kind of have to just sort of run with the world here just being a little bit different. And I think that works. But okay, Will, what did you think of Black Widow? Were you in this one? Um, Yes and no. I, I think... The stuff that I like is like what I appreciate it brings as opposed to other Marvel films, which is, um, as Emily was mentioning, that the fact that it is 
more contained, more character focus. Like uh, she was saying, like I, I really enjoyed the opening scene. It, it reminded me of the Americans as well. And the fact that there are quite a few scenes throughout the film where it doesn't feel too busy. It just allows itself to have very uh, like intimate, dramatic scenes where characters can just express their feelings in a, in a way that feels uh, much more grounded than we've seen from the other Marvel movies to date. Uh, and I also really appreciate that this is certainly willing to be the darkest MCU film. This is probably the closest they've come to making an R-rated film, which is, to me, pretty interesting that they're making a lot of big creative risk here in terms of expanding uh, what they can make their movies and how far they can really push them. But at the same time, I, I didn't find myself quite as invested in it, unfortunately. Um, I, I, I think it's because it kind of feels like it's at odds with the like family comedic stuff that I don't know. I just, I never found those moments to be with the exception of like David Harper's performance to be quite as investing as the earlier scenes where it is a lot more emotional. It, it feels like it's searching. That's where Kate Shortland's influence comes in. Um, I haven't seen her two recent films, but I did see Summerland or sorry, Somersault. And I remember really liking that and how she's able to make it very like intimate and very character focused. And I think those are the moments that really stand out to me. Um, but I guess just the general kind of Marvel scenes didn't didn't do it for me as much this time around, unfortunately. Yeah, th- I'm glad you mentioned Kate Shortland, director of this film. I haven't seen any of her shows or movies, I don't think. I know she did Berlin Syndrome before this a few years back, and she's she's written for some TV shows, but I don't think I've seen any of them myself. But yeah, I, I'm glad that they had a woman directing this because there are a few moments in this film, I won't give them away, that sort of nicely address how age of Ultron had some really bad, like dialogue delivery and dialogue setup for some of this backstory information. And I think that this film definitely like reclaims some of that stuff in a way that I found good. Like I was like, okay, thank you for doing that. And I want to add, since you brought it up, I really appreciated how they fixed (laughs) their mistakes with the way that they've discussed Natasha's upbringing. Again, I don't want to spoil either, but I will say that a particular moment in the film really experienced Kate and even Florence's input because it was really felt because originally, apparently, um, one Yelena line that was really cutting and I think really signaled how biting this film was compared to some other Marvel films was actually not in the original script, which is written by men. Um, They had a joke by Alexi that wasn't answered. And then that conversation that followed was added in, according to an interview with Kate in Polygon. Yeah, I I did see that, yeah, Florence Pugh had to really push and fight for that that entire sequence, basically. And Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that Kate Shortland had a hand in it, but I would imagine so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, she, she, in order to even, because I know um, Pew pretty much um, improvised her comeback line, but then it became a scene in and of itself almost uh, in its own sequence. So I'm sure Kate had a, a big hand in making it happen ultimately. That's definitely something about this movie that I do want to highlight that, like, as I kind of get into my thoughts, I really, really enjoyed the first half of this movie probably and I'd say like all the way up until we start to sort of 
transition over into the third act. I kind of was checking out by the third act because I just felt like it was getting away from what was interesting about the first part of the movie, which is this family dynamic, this sort of Americans feel. We have a lot of Natasha on the run, this seemingly unstoppable new villain called Taskmaster who is after her, who's like, who can like copy the moves of a lot of other characters from other Marvel movies. I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that makes sense as a great foil to Natasha because, you know, it's, it just feels like a, a difficult to beat character who is really just intelligent or like battle intelligent and all this stuff. And all that was kind of, you know, it was interesting. It's, it turns though into like one long chase scene, it feels like, because then they get to this point where the whole movie just feels like more typical Marvel to me and sort of loses what I think was kind of individualistic about the early goings of this like family dynamic. And I I thought it was like this fascinating story between these characters who are not technically related, but they are still family and they have a lot of scenes where they're reckoning with that dynamic and what they put each other through and where, how far they've come. And there's a lot of talking in this movie and really good dialogue. I, I don't know. I just, I kind of think it was setting up for something a little different in the finale. And I, I just didn't find the finale. I, did, I didn't think it nailed the landing, the, uh, the landing and pose, I guess, getting into that, but I did enjoy this and I enjoyed these characters. I really like Florence Pugh in this, um, yeah, Emily, so you really liked the film. Who, who were some of your favorite, like, what were some of the best performances you saw in this one? Um, I would say that no one's no one's going to argue that Florence didn't steal that this movie, but I need to see more of David Harbour as Alexi in the Marvel Universe. If they don't give that to me, then I'm done. He's I fantastic. thought he was fantastic. <laughs> so good. Rachel Weisz, I had a problem, or my, I think it's Rachel Weisz, my only problem with her is that she looks exactly the same age as Scarlett Johansson. So I mean, that's just having the genes, her be you know? this mother mother moment between the two of them, where they're staring at each other and talking and coming and having their like moment. I was just like, I'm confused. <laughs> but <laughs> I thought the sisters were those two. Yeah, right. Other than that, she she delivered a great performance as well, and I think that with all of dis- the discussion of Florence stealing the show that people are somewhat ignoring how good Scarlet was and how how much heart she's brought to this character that for so many movies was completely shoved to the side and one-dimensional but she always I felt has given the role her all and given given Natasha um, a lot more heart than I think other actors might have brung to it. I 100% agree with that. I think that it's similar in a funny way to how Black Widow herself always has to punch above her weight. She's the Avenger who has to take on threats that seem way too much for her to handle, but it's similar to how like Scarlett Johansson is like, she's given this writing sometimes and this like character who is so just like underwritten in a lot of cases, but just carries it way farther and yeah, just kind of like defies expectations in a really positive way. Um, but yeah, Will, I, we're talking performances. I, I'm curious where you're at with some of them. Yeah, if you, uh, Florence Pugh, David Harbour. I mean, it, it it's a great cast. Yeah, no mistake about that. Yeah, I, I would agree that David Harbour, I think, is the highlight. Uh, him as basically Russian Mr. Incredible. 
uh, is always a delight. And I think when he comes back into the film, that's when I really kind of perked up again. The prison scene in particular just felt like a fun kind of like mini exercise and just watching him do his thing. Um, and I would agree that Florence Pugh was very good. And um, I would I also I, I feel like. Uh, Ray Winestone's performance is kind of getting brushed as like a one note villain. And I mean, I, I'm not going to say his character is like super complex, but I think he brings that kind of like scene chewing villainy that I tend to like. I mean, I think he really just like gnarls into this performance in a way that uh, is compelling for for what's going for. Um, those are the performances that stand out to me, though. I think you're leading to who's my favorite character in the film, unless I'm mistaken. Sure. Yeah. Why not? All right. So <laughs> I was already telling this to John. I'm not quite sure how you're going to feel about this, Emily, but uh, and, and can I just away, say, I want to, I want to set this up by saying, Will told me, oh, this movie has my new favorite Marvel character and Will, yes. I did call it. I did call uh, it after yes, I watched did. it. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of the mechanized pig in the film that Rachel Weiss brings in about midway through. <laughs> um, I was just, I was so captivated when that pig came into the film. I was like, oh, where's this going? And then there's a scene where the pig's not breathing. And I, I honestly don't know what the dialogue is in that scene. Because I was just like, what's what's going on with the pig? Bring the pig back. <laughs> yeah, she's giving exposition on how like this yeah. chemical thing works. Yeah. Uh, and I was I was really disappointed that the end of the film, uh, when we have the big like skyscraper scene, that uh, Rachel Weisz didn't like, press a few buttons. And then we saw like the pig fly in the air up to save yeah. the day. But, you know, I, I, I set my expectations too high when I saw the pig in the in the middle of the movie. I was just like, this is going to be the scene stealer. He's going to have the end credit scene. He's going to be the, the face of uh, <laughs> the second half of this movie. He's going to be the goose of this, of this film. And the pig, unfortunately, uh, didn't have any more scenes unless I missed them in the second half of the film. This and, isn't and... this isn't Loki. <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen Loki right. yet, so I'm, yeah. I'm not quite sure oh, no. uh, uh, if that's a reference Spoilers. to something. Okay. Uh, it is. Is, wait, wait, is the pig in Loki? No, no. no. <laughs> yeah, we got to be careful, Emily, because yeah, poor Will's heart. <laughs> but Aww. no, well, there is there is an alligator in Loki. I think you're already aware oh, okay. of who has oh. a similar, yeah, I think appeal to your sensibilities. If I can. Oh, okay. I, I heard something about an alligator and Loki, and I wasn't quite sure. I, I saw it briefly on Twitter, and I didn't pay it much mind. So, I mean, if they can bring the alligator, goose, and the pig all into, you know, one big Animal Avengers film, then sure. I'm, I'll, I'll be there opening day. I think that's what they're setting up, probably. All right. Hell yeah. Bring it. Avengers Animal Farm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I would love to hit just a couple of things that Will mentioned one, I will say I'm really glad, Will, that you mentioned The Incredibles because I was at the premiere, or I wasn't at the premiere, sorry, I was at a screener with a friend of mine, and there's a one particular moment when he's putting on the costume. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I turned to her and I go, this is a direct call to Incredibles, right? And she had no idea what I was talking about, mm -hmm. and I was very upset <laughs> because I was yeah. like, this has to be, would be an actual reference, and that was so funny. It's short time. <laughs> I, yeah, I wish. They... And I forget what uh, the other thing I was going to say, but yes, I also love the pig. Okay, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you agree because the pig for me is the is the new star of Marvel. I'm I'm very curious to see where his multi franchise deal goes from here. <laughs> I will say I will say that watching her steal his breath was really really stressful. But I, I agree that that's why I mean if they brought if they brought the pig into that end final scene i might have checked out oh uh, <laughs> i i think i i don't know i just 
I was just like, in my wildest dreams, like somehow this pig's gonna come back. I know it. They, they didn't just set up this pig for nothing, right? Surely this pig is here for the long term, but I don't know. He was just an example of how um, they tested their mind control. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think too they did they did reference it later. Like yeah. the, the pigs were treated. That's how you know Drakoff is evil because he says something mean about the pigs, and you're supposed to be like, he is a monster. Oh, that reminds me of the other point I was going to say that Will mentioned about um, about Ray performance. Oh, yeah. I will say, I know I'm sure we'll talk about this more, that there was a lot of discourse riding on Taskmaster. But I don't consider Taskmaster the big bad of this movie. It's clearly Drakoff. And I, and I agree that Ray Winstone's performance was really, really captivating. And I honestly didn't even, the reveal of taskmaster didn't even register for me really because i was always so focused on this really horrible scary russian man yeah we'll definitely have to get into that um in a moment before before we do we'll just kind of wind things down here i, I did want to mention too like the kind of big story behind this movie is that it, it feels like it's it took way too long for us to get a black widow movie people have been wanting a black widow yeah. movie since the first avengers Right when that character finally really got the spotlight in a meaningful yeah. way, and I I know you know there's a lot of drama behind it, and it, this is kind of a legacy issue from the fact that Ike Perlmutter used to call the shots before Kevin Feige, and when they wanted to make a Black Widow movie, there was just a lot of like, okay, well now Kevin Feige is doing this, and they had to like redo these things with these contracts, and I think Marvel made some big missteps in like, well, we have Captain Marvel and they, they thought that there wouldn't, it wouldn't quite fit. And so they put all their chips into the Captain Marvel film being the first female superhero Marvel movie. And of course that film did really well financially and everything. And, you know, but this is really the first one where it's not just a female character at the center of the movie and carrying this movie, but it's also directed solely by a woman. Um, because Captain Marvel was co-directed by a woman. So I kind of want to point that out, that it it does feel a little strange. I I just really wish this had come out in like 2016 or 2017. I think that this would have been really great as a sort of milestone for this character. And I think considering what happens in the later movies, that undercuts this movie a bit because you kind of just know like the ultimate fate of this character and what's going to happen. And I think both movies would have been better served if the order was switched around. But at the same time, I think people will probably discover or rediscover these movies watching it in that order. Well, they'll go to this film, you know, right after Captain America or Black Panther, whatever they do. And Civil War, I should say. And they'll be able to watch it and be like, oh my gosh. And then they'll watch, you know, although at the same time, the end credit scene, which I guess we can we can start to lift up for spoilers in a moment kind of prevents that from really working probably but let's let's talk about um our final grades and then we'll open things up for spoilers and i'll start real fast i i'm a b minus on this movie i think that it's solid and again if, if just the ending had been a little bit more satisfying for what kind of movie this was uh, it just it just didn't quite work for me and i think that it, it suffers a little bit from the action and the a lot of the effects and the stunt work just being too much slave into like the board movies a bit. I, I didn't really feel like a visceral like excitement over any of the action going on. 
and it's still solid and I think it's serviceable, but yeah, I wouldn't say that this one is one of my favorite Marvel films for sure, but I definitely thought it was pretty strong in some areas and I'm excited about some of the characters that they're kind of setting up for future movies in a few ways. But Will, what is your what is your grade for Black Widow? Yeah, so when Kate Shortland was attached to the film, I was nervous that she was going to ultimately end up being a director for hire uh, because, you know, we see some Marvel movies where like James Gunn and Ryan Coogler, they really get to command the film. Uh, and other directors like an Alan Taylor and Thor 2 just kind of feel like they're just kind of calling the shots for Marvel. And I think the movie's at its best when it is a Kate Shortland film. Uh, as we mentioned, like the more intimate character-driven scenes, like the dinner room scenes, and uh, even some of the more like uh, intense dramatic scenes, like we were mentioning with Ray Weinstone and Scarlett Johansson, those are the moments that really stand out to me. And I can really feel what I, I see is like her influence on the film as well as the scene you mentioned where it does feel like it does have uh, some more bite, some more edge to the film in a way that these other Marvel movies uh, feel padded or uh, maybe even insecure about what they can do. But the actual Marvel elements of the film ultimately kind of left me underwhelmed because it felt like the promise that, were, that was shown in those scenes uh, just didn't get fully realized in the film, unfortunately for me. But I can see this one growing on me more maybe if I give it a second shot later down the road because I do really appreciate what it's doing and how it's expanding uh, the template for the MCU. And I do agree that I think the performances here are generally and uniformly strong. So I'll give this one an admirable pretty high C+. All right. And then we'll finish with you, Emily. Do you have a grade for Black Widow? Yeah, it's funny because I would say that I have the same exact feelings as both of you. Um, I don't think that the fight scenes and the big um, climax were that impactful, especially compared to the rest of the film. However, I'd argue that I very rarely am that excited about the climaxes in Marvel movies. So I am more prone to not caring about them. So I feel the same way, but I would give it an A minus. All right. So good range here. I know people are kind of all over the place with this movie. I've seen some people really, really liking it. Some people liking it and then some people just not like it. I mean, I feel like it's a kind of a safe bet that you'll at least like it. Uh, You know, listeners like I I just think it it satisfies on like the summer movie template. You know, like I wish I had seen this in a theater and I think it would be really enjoyable to watch with like a group of people. And I think it'll be a fun rewatch down the line. I will say I did see it in theater and i highly recommend the theater experience for this one also um i was telling you john a little bit about my thoughts on how people watch marvel and the way that they might appreciate the movie differently depending on what kind of marvel fan they are so i believe that there are super involved fandom marvel fans who get extremely caught up in the what's happening next what is leading what is this leading to who are we meeting that's from the comics um i know taskmaster was like everybody was so excited and a lot of people were very disappointed by how um that reveal went and then i think and i think those are the people who might not love this one as much as others and then i i'm a marvel fan who just likes to watch the movies and i come at them as individual movies and i think if you're that person you might really like this one because it feels so independent of anything else. And like, it doesn't rely on anything else for you to understand what's happening. 
and enjoy it. But yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I think the fandom surrounding Marvel creates different problems for the directors who come in and different exciting things that they can do. I think that's a good way to put it. And like looking back, I think I prefer this to some of the other Marvel films that have felt like, I don't know, just like they're trying really hard to, I don't know, just tie everything into other things. I did like that this was a bit more standalone and it was really honed in on the character of Black Widow. So I, I definitely want to give it a lot of credit for that. But let's let's open things up and let's actually talk about some of the ending material. Emily, you brought up some of the Taskmaster, I think I'm saying that right, Taskmaster discourse. And yeah, so spoilers for Black Widow, definitely leave us be if you don't want to be spoiled on the movie. But so we do, we do find out. And I had two main theories like early in this movie, like when Taskmaster is first revealed, I'm like, okay, there's two characters i could see this being i could see this being rachel weiss's character because we haven't seen her in a while so i could see them sort of like bringing her in and just being like oh yeah she's actually testament okay sure um that didn't that ended up not being the case at all um but it was the i think the other pretty safe prediction a lot of people probably made which was okay it's Drakoff's daughter we find out that there is a connection a really strong connection between the this daughter character who Natasha thinks she kills in Budapest. And that connects directly to the 2012 Avengers film where she mentions she has a lot of red in her ledger. She has a lot of guilt for the people she's killed. And one of those people is this daughter who was collateral damage in her effort to get the main villain of this movie. I thought all that was, sure, it, it was effortless. It, it's streamlined it and everything. And I was like, okay, they're going to reveal that that's the daughter. Maybe she's like injured or something. Sure enough, that's the case. And we kind of see her and she's like, it, it seems like this character is like more a victim than anyone else because we find out like all the Black Widows are basically under mind control at this point. And this movie kind of toys around with this idea that Natasha should feel guilty because it was her defection from the Red Room that pushed the big bad of the film to start mind controlling everyone like her sister played by Florence Pugh and the other widows we see in this movie. And that's kind of the basic gist of it. So what would you say, Emily, is uh, some of the like critical reaction you think to that development that I know you kind of hinted at it earlier. So if you want to get in a little more detail now. So again, I am a Marvel movie person who just sees them, but I was following along on Twitter when I was looking at the reactions and it turns out that Taskmaster is a very beloved I the impression I'm getting is almost anti-hero, um, not so much villain as like adversary and that he can be funny and he's interesting and one of a lot of people's favorite characters. So when he was being introduced and they, it was seen that he was going to be in this movie, people were so excited and I can understand their disappointment because Taskmaster comes in as a cool fighter. But once the hat comes off, or sorry, the the oh. helmet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the helmet comes off. It's just no, it doesn't matter anymore. They give her the antidote, and then it's implied that the other assassins are going to take her under their wing and let her into their family that they're all forming now that they are no longer under Drakoff's mind control. So, frankly, Taskmaster as a character in this is super underwhelming if that's what you're going into the movie for me i had no idea who taskmaster was and didn't really care (laughs) um i was way more focused on alexi and yelena and 
all there's so many new characters in this film because it can't rely on any other Marvel character of, other than um, Natasha. So, yeah, I was seeing a lot of discourse that they ruined Taskmaster. I don't, I don't see a way, and maybe I'm wrong, for them to bring Taskmaster into the rest of the phase two, unless she goes through some severe like deconditioning. And then comes back more mm-hmm. interesting and has a personality and other things. So I yeah, the so sense I that's think, what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, they give no sense in the movie. She just kind of leaves. Yeah, and this is what I I mean. This is what happened with Wandavision too. It was people were so focused on how Doctor Strange was going to come in, or if her brother was really the Sony version of Ph of. Quicksilver, that it made it hard for, I think, some viewers to take in what was happening and enjoy it for what it was. So it's like that kind of double-edged sword again. Yeah. See, I, I would see my prediction, but I wonder if I wonder if they're going to try to do this because they kind of tease at the end of this movie that Florence Pugh, not only will she kind of be taking the reins as the new Black Widow or White Widow, but she'll also sort of be kind of tied in with the upcoming Hawkeye show on Disney Plus, which of course has Kate Bishop played by Haley Steinfeld. I think that's Haley Steinfeld's character, but they're kind of like pushing the Hawkeye sort of comic stuff where there's a bunch of different bow and arrow fighters. And I, the reason I, I think that that's important to note is because I'm starting to think based on the reaction and the reception of these Disney plus shows, Loki, WandaVision, even Falcon, the winter soldier, which definitely not a lot of people's favorite has, they've kind of created a permission structure for there to be maybe fewer Marvel movies or for them to create more shows with these kinds of characters. So I wonder if we'll see more of Florence Pugh, for example, in a show with, the Red Guardian again, where they might bring back that character, they might bring back Taskmaster, they might create a sort of, oh yeah, this is this part of the like, the Marvel world, and Florence Pugh's our main character, and there's going to be different characters trickling in. I, I would assume that that might be a deal. I mean, that, yeah, that does seem to be exactly where they're going. I was just saying that it, I didn't, they didn't do a lot of teasing with Taskmaster that she was bigger than um, this movie, but I could be wrong there. Yeah, we, we just don't know. I know that people are also saying like, oh, this could be like, she could be part of Young Avengers. And then they're also setting up a ton of stuff in this movie for Thunderbolts. So like the Dark Avengers, there's all kinds of stuff that they could do from here. And I all that to say, I think that there's plenty of room to include Taskmaster again and, and get that character maybe a, a more thorough story arc or, or maybe even some like speaking lines something like that but yeah it, it, all this stuff will i know that you weren't the biggest fan of the film but yeah i mean how did how did you feel with like some of like the florence Pugh of it all like kind of like leading into the next you know kind of like what we're talking about it's like her sort of taking the throne i guess um i mean I, like we said before i think she's good in the film and um i i don't have any issue with her performance uh i guess for me i find when i see her performances in like lady macbeth and midsummer and little women i I think she gets a little bit more time to shine in those films either as a supporting actress or a lead and i'm worried that she'll be constrained to like a franchise she continues to make marvel movies but 
at the same time, that hasn't prevented Scarlett Johansson from doing a lot of right. exceptional films outside of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for instance, like Under the Skin or Marriage Story. I was going to say, yeah. That came out in between, like, two Avengers movies. Yeah. And, I mean, I love both those films a lot. Um, so, I mean, if she can continue making great films and get the Marvel money, then by all means. I assume, though, Will, that you were probably more like a B, B-plus on this movie until Taskmaster's face or mask or helmet was taken off and it was revealed and you thought it was going to be the pig, Pig Alexi. Mm. And you're like, uh, oh, okay, this is, this is the obvious you know, reveal <laughs> we've been waiting for. That didn't happen. Sure. So, of course, you had to bump your grade all the way down to C+. Surely the pig grew four feet, uh, assumed a human's <laughs> body, walked on two legs, and became this character. Surely that's the case, right? No. Rachel Weiss presses a button on that yeah. like little tablet. <laughs> it says, become uh, what you're meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> uh, if only. If only. I do have one question for you both. I saw some criticism that the movie didn't feel biting or that there weren't high stakes because you were never afraid that anyone in the Romanoff fake family was going to die. And I thought that was absurd (laughs) Um, because you go into most Avengers Marvel movies not thinking they're going to die and it doesn't receive that kind of criticism. And I just want to know what you guys how you guys think feel about that if you felt that it was like lower stakes as a movie i mean i didn't really consider the stakes so much in the film like i mean obviously you know like you don't you know that scarlett johansson's gonna make it out um but i wasn't really thinking so much about the uh the fate of the characters i mean there was that one moment where they they kind of suggest that florence Pugh's character isn't gonna make it and that's sort of interesting in that like oh okay i guess that that, that might explain why she hasn't been around for the past few films but you know, obviously they, they bring her back because it's implied that they want to uh, spin the franchise and to make her, like you're saying, a bigger part of the upcoming Marvel movies and shows. So um, that didn't really hinder the movie for me personally. But um, how about you, John? I think and I, I think this is going to be an unpopular opinion. It's unpopular to me because even I don't want to like say this, but I I think Red Guardian, I think Melina. So, so the Rachel Weisz and David Harbour characters, I think they should have died in this movie. You know, maybe do a fake out death or something, but I, I, it's not that I don't want to see them again in another Marvel movie, but I think that's where this story should have ended because I think that they set this whole movie up about this emotional arc of they weren't there for these kids. And so like the ultimate sacrifice, you know, would have really meant something so that maybe in that post credit scene, Florence Pugh isn't just mourning the death of Natasha, but you also see the graves right there for Red Guardian and Melina, her parents, you know, calling back to that line where Dreykov is saying, you know, Natasha's real mother is buried under a tree. I think that would have been a really good callback. And I think that would have been emotional. I think that would have made me feel a little bit more of like, wow. And so like the weight of all of this is now on Florence Pugh. But with them sort of still running around out there, I I don't know. I just thought it was kind of undercut. Haven't these women suffered enough for you, John? (laughs) Yeah. I guess um, I guess I'm not. Yeah, I don't think they should have been killed, but I did think it was kind of weird. They just randomly just kind of like walk into the frame in the last scene, like out of nowhere. They're like, "Hey, we're back, <laughs> yeah. and it's we're gone." <laughs> I mean, just in terms of that, I found that to be a little odd. But I don't know if I don't I don't know if I would have killed them. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm just saying I'm 
that's where I thought the screenplay was going. Uh, I mean, it's my own, my own expectations, my own, yeah, reading of the film came back to bite me there. But, you know, uh, like I said, hot take, unpopular opinion. But all right, that is our review of Black Widow. You can watch it right now on Disney Plus or in theaters. Kind of mentioned earlier that it is doing really well at the box office. It's on track to be the biggest earner of the year so far for its opening weekend, beating Fast 9 or F9. And I think that makes sense. I think uh, this is one of those movies that I think is going to set the template for or the permission structure for more movies to come back to theaters even more so than they have been already. And I think that it'll be a big proving point too for a Disney Plus movie that's playing both on their streaming service and in theaters because I think Ryan the Last Dragon was like, and Cruella, those are the last two. And I think that they were still kind of in that transition period, but now we're in like the summer. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how the st- uh, streaming wars are going to heat up or cool down in the wake of this movie. So I think that'll be fascinating to watch. And also the runtime for this film is 134 minutes. So yeah, you're looking at about not two and a half hours, but getting close to that for sure. And you know, I will say I didn't, it didn't feel super long to me. If anything, like I paused at one point and I was like, wait, there's not that much of this movie left. (laughs) And I thought there was like a whole other act, you know, that they could, they were like kind of gearing up to squeeze in, but nope, this movie is pretty weirdly. It felt short to me. I don't know about YouTube, YouTube, but yeah. Well, thank you as always for listening to Cinemaholics. We'll be back next week to talk about a whole bunch of things like Space Jam, New Legacy, Pig, uh, Escape Room 2, The Last Fear Street. It's, it's going to be a big episode next week. Very excited for Pig. I'm glad you guys own movie so much so shortly after this oh this God. big big blockbuster and uh, <laughs> you know bringing Nicolas Cage into the MCU. Why not? That's going to be fun. Emily Tannenbaum, where can people find some of your work uh, if they want to check out? what you're up to on the internet these days. You can follow me at EC Tannenbaum on Twitter. And my website is emilytannenbaum.com, but you can find me over at Glamour, sometimes on IGN and a few other places. Sounds good. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Emily, for coming on. Signing off from the internet, California, I am John Negroni. From the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Lash. And from Los Angeles, Emily Tannenbaum. See you next time.